You're listening to the Podcast Insider, Episode 3. What's up, everybody? Devin here, executive producer with Devenio Podcast, and welcome to Episode 3 of the Podcast Insider. Now, I'm super excited for this episode because today we're going to be talking about everything recording, everything you're going to need to get up and running and recording your very first podcast episode. Or if you've already been producing your podcast, you'll find some tips and best practices to really elevate the sound quality of your existing podcast. Now, today we're going to be joined by Matt Boudreau, who's been producing professional audio for over 25 years as a recording, mix, and mastering engineer. Uh, He's worked for years within commercial studios, and he now owns and operates his own studio out of his home in the San Francisco Bay Area. He's also the host of the weekly podcast, The Working Class Audio, where he interviews fellow audio engineers to learn more about their journey as a professional within the industry. Now, with over 200 episodes to date, he's really created a strong community of loyal listeners through his relaxed and conversational approach, which creates a unique atmosphere for his guests to provide some really great stories and ultimately insights for listeners. Uh, I'm really excited to have him on the show, but before we get there, I thought this would be a really unique opportunity to talk about my recording rig and how I record these podcasts. And the reason for that is because I'm actually not at my home studio right now. It's uh, my mom's birthday this weekend, so I'm actually at my parents' house. And it's really not the most ideal environment for recording a podcast. So I thought this would be a really fun opportunity to talk about some of the things that I think about, some of the things that I look for, and how I set up my rig outside of my studio. Now, the very first thing that I like to consider when recording a podcast is the environment. So I tried to look for a room that, A, was furthest away from everybody else in the house. And that's probably obvious to you guys. I tried to find a room in which the sound would not travel through the walls and start creeping into the recording. So that's the first thing. The second thing was I tried to find a room that was a little bit smaller and maybe had some furniture in it, which it does. I'm currently sitting on a nice big couch here, so uh, that will help absorb the, the room echoes. There's also a nice big rug in the room, so it's not just a bare wood floor or a tiled floor where the sound and the, the reflections of the sound can really get out of hand with a room like that. Now, I realize all of these things, it's going to be difficult to try to find a room that checks all of these boxes, but the more of these boxes that you check, the better your recording environment will be and ultimately the sound quality of your final podcast. Now, the next thing we're gonna discuss is signal chain or signal flow, and that really is simply where the audio is coming from and where it's going to. So the source of the audio is my voice. You need a microphone to pick that up. So that's the very first step in my signal chain. So I like to use a dynamic microphone. There's many different microphones that you can use. I just prefer to use dynamic microphones for my podcast recordings. And my favorite dynamic microphone is going to be the SM7B, the Shure SM7B. And it's what I'm using right now. It's used all over the world by professional broadcasters uh, in radio and in podcasting and television. Uh, It's really just a great microphone and it's built like a tank. It's going to last you forever. I've used it 
all over the place. Uh, I take it with me on the road, obviously, um, and I don't have to worry about it breaking. It's my, it's just my favorite dynamic microphone. So the next thing in the signal chain is going to depend on the type of microphone that you have. If you're using a USB microphone, you don't need to worry about this next step. You plug it into your computer and you're good to go. Now, because I'm not using a USB microphone, there's a couple of things that I need to consider. And the first thing is, how am I gonna connect it to my computer, which is what I'm recording with. So the first thing is, the SM7B runs through XLR connections, and all that is is just a, a, a wire type, a, micro, a USB microphone. It connects to your computer via USB. The SM7B connects via XLR. So I needed to get an XLR wire, which I have. And I run that out of the SM7B, and now I gotta run it into my computer, but as you know, there is no XLR input on your computer. Well, that's why I have an audio interface. And the one I use now, it's an portable Apollo Twin. I'm able to bring it on the road with me. I can connect up to two microphones into it. And it does a couple of things for me. The first thing it does is it powers my microphone. And when I say powered, it's running through a preamp. And a preamp is just sort of Think of it as just giving your, your microphone the extra volume. It's pushing the volume of your microphone up, which obviously is very important. So that's the first thing that it's doing for me. The second thing it's doing for me is allowing me to connect my microphone to my computer. And I have that running out of the Apollo Twin interface via Thunderbolt. And I have that going into my MacBook Pro. But there's still one more step we need to talk about, which is how am I recording this right now? Now, there's many ways that you can go about doing this. The way I do it is on my computer. You don't necessarily need to record into your computer, but that's how I do it. Um, so what I needed to do was choose a digital audio workstation, otherwise known as a DAW. Now, there's many different options to choose from here. There's Audacity, which is free. There's GarageBand that comes with your Mac. Uh, I run Pro Tools. I use it for all of my audio projects. It's something I've been using for almost 15 years and I'm comfortable with, and it's easy for me. So right now I have the audio running through my mic. It's going into my Apollo Twin audio interface. It's being boosted with the preamp so that you can actually hear me. And then out of that, I have it going through Thunderbolt into my MacBook Pro and ultimately being recorded through Pro Tools. Now, the very last thing I should probably talk about here is the output, and that's how am I listening to the audio that I'm recording? Or if I'm in an interview, how am I listening to my guest? Well, it's very simple. Always, always, always use headphones. Because if you're not using headphones and you're using the speakers from your computer or whatever it may be, the audio that you're listening to will start to creep into the recording through the microphone as it picks it up in the room. So I always use headphones to isolate the audio that I'm listening to and ensure that it doesn't creep into my recording. Now, this is important to understand signal flow as we jump into this interview with Matt Boudreau and we talk about some of the gear and what we need to record so that you can understand each step along the way. Now, this is going to be a little bit longer of an episode, but there really is a lot to talk about here and a lot to learn. So without further ado, let's jump in and see what Matt has to say about podcast recording. All right. So, Matt, uh, you've been hosting the Working Class Audio podcast for pretty much five years now, coming up on five years. 
First off, congratulations. That's awesome. That's such a great achievement that you've been able to remain consistent week after week and have this thing run for five years. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's, um, I tell you, it's a chore, but it's, it's a, it's a labor of love for sure. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It's pretty tremendous. Everything you've built, you have a great following and it seems like the guest list is, is pretty endless. Uh, there's always somebody new on, which is great. Yeah, there's a lot of audio professionals to talk to in many different areas. So I think I've just scratched the surface. Yeah. On that note, why don't you tell us about the history of the working class audio? How let's hear the story. How did everything come to be between balancing family and you're an audio engineer and your production business? How did this fit in? What made you decide to actually, you know, opportunity cost is always a factor in everything that we do. So what made you decide that podcasting was something you wanted to jump into? Long story short is, is I have many years as, as a professional drummer and then many years as a, uh, as a recording engineer have owned a couple of different studio incarnations in the Bay Area. And my last one was in San Francisco proper. And uh, it was, you know, it was a, a lot of overhead and it was a leap of faith that I jumped uh, out of a smaller situation with better overhead, better profit margin, and uh, a nice, stable client base to something that was I was in over my head. I got into a, a very classic building that had been in San Francisco in various incarnations in terms of a, a studio. It had been there since the 60s. And basically, I was there for... I got in at two, in 2007, June of 2007, right as the financial crisis was just kind of, you know, perfect timing, <laughs> taking off a little bit, as we'll say, you yeah. know, t taking off to crash. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, I made a bunch of ridiculous financial errors and, and I had illusions of grandeur and, or delusions of grandeur, however you want to say it. I was delusional. And I was not paying attention to what was happening with the economy. I was just, I had blinders on. I had my little fantasy about how a studio will be or should be. And, and I was just in the thick of it. I essentially jumped into a swimming pool in the deep end and was having a hard time swimming. So that was the start of it. And because of my bad decision-making, I put a lot of stress on my wife and my family and I put a lot of stress on my uh, business relationships because my financial obligations were not being met. Sure. And I eventually I got out and my building partner, uh, mastering engineer, Michael Romanowski, uh, I came to Michael. I said, you know what, man, I cannot uh, sustain this. This is not working. My relationship is on the rocks and I need your help. I need to get off this lease and we need to figure something out. And he was great. He said, okay, we'll figure it out. Family comes first, no problem. Let's That's do great. it. So we were able to find a replacement. I got out. I came home with all my equipment, figured out, you know, okay, I need this. I don't need this. I began to sell stuff and I yep. whittled it down to what I really needed. So the start of Working Class Audio came as a kind of a point of self-reflection hmm. because I had to look at what I had done and how I had failed in my mind. And I said to myself, I have to come up with a less lofty way of doing this. I said I, to my I, thinking to myself, I thought I have to come up with like a more working class way of doing this. And then <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, it's like kind of a working class audio type of thing. And 
that's when, you know, I started to think of this mentality before I thought of the podcast. And so I started to pay attention to like Dave Ramsey and learn some, you know, new financial uh, skills and kind of grow up a bit, you know, mm-hmm. really improve my relationship, improve my relationship with money as well. And that's when I thought to myself, what in the hell do other people do? Why is this so dang hard at, when you get to a certain level? And that's when I said, I, I need to create some kind of blog and just kind of document not only my reimagining my own perspectives on how to do audio and make a living, but also wanted to figure out what others do. And when I wrote the first couple blog posts, I hated it. I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I can handle writing all the time. I hate writing. <laughs> so then of course I had almost like a duh moment. I was like, well, duh, I'll do a podcast. And so that's how it started. And wow. ir- ironically, many, many years ago, when I was in my smaller studio, I tried my hand at podcasting. It was, you know, early days of podcasting. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. But, you know, I did it for like five, six episodes and was like, yep. yeah, all right, whatever. This is the common tale in podcasting. <laughs> yeah. So when I came up with this, I was like, this time I have an agenda, a strong agenda, yep. and a plan and a reason to want to do this. So I started it. Did it two times a month for the first few months and then got some advice on uh, how to really do it. And then I changed it up to once a week. Oh, that's great. And full transparency, I've been listening for years. So I've, I've definitely heard that story before. And I think it's such a unique story. And the reason why is because a lot of people feel like I want to start a podcast because I have some value to give to somebody, right? You, while you wanted to document your process, you also wanted to learn and and you wanted to talk to these engineers and and learn from them. And that's the reason why you started the podcast. I think that's such a unique case. It's something that you wanted to get insights from other professionals in the industry and learn from them. And and that's where this kind of started. So that's fantastic. Yeah. I think the key thing there is, is that I wasn't coming at this as the smartest guy in the room. I was coming at this as the student yeah. Who almost like, you know, parts, part sage, part student, because I did, I have a lot of experience for sure. I, you know, there's just so much more to learn. That's fantastic. So uh, going back again to the beginning, I have that great story. You said you started off going twice a month, you said, right? It was biweekly. Yep. yep. Yeah. So twice a month. Uh, and then you said you spoke to some people that gave you some advice. What really stuck out to you as, as a, uh, a teachable moment, let's say, when podcasting. So if you were to go back and do this again from scratch, what are some things that you would do differently or you would tell folks when they're starting out, you know, stay away from this or try to do it this way, things like that? So I have a lot of people call me and say, hey, so you've been doing this podcasting thing for a while. Um, I'm thinking about doing a podcast. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of people that I don't want to discourage anybody. But if you're going to do it, you have to understand that it's a commitment because if you just do this as like, it's something that comes to you one week and then three weeks later you've abandoned it, obviously it's not for you. Your audience is expecting consistency from you. If you watch a television show, let's just, I don't, we'll throw something mainstream out there, like the Big Bang Theory. You know, the Big Bang Theory was on for many, many years. Had it not been on at the times it said it was going to be on, nobody would watch it. Nobody would watch any show. 
you know, when a show is announced and it sets a schedule, it sticks to the schedule no matter what. You've got to do that with a podcast. You have to be consistent. You have to treat it like a piece of modern day media. It's not just, if you're going to be an amateur about it, then, you know, you're not going to get many listeners. But if, if you are going to be pro about it, that's when you'll get listeners. And so I don't think, in fact, I know, I don't think I've ever failed to come, come out with a show on a Monday. As far as I know, it's Monday every, every Monday is a new show. Maybe I've let it come out, you know, in the afternoon, but it's always come out Monday. You know, there's been some times where I'm like, oh, actually we have to do a few extra things and it delays the show coming out on the morning when the commuters are all hitting. Yep. But I always try to have it out on a Monday and I have not failed for almost five years. That's fantastic. Yeah, I speak to my clients all the time about the, I'm going to say one of the top three keys to success with uh, with the podcasting is consistency. And it's consistency down the line with everything that you do, even down to intros and outros and things like this. I mean, you, you can experiment and add things over time, but people want that sense of familiarity when they tune in weekly. So number one, if you're doing weekly, every week, every Monday, release your episode. If you're doing bi-weekly, you know, make sure you're on a schedule because it, as soon as you don't release that episode, you're losing listeners. I always think it's good to have an understanding of your own format and it's okay to change the format up, but don't just get on there and be like, so, um, yeah, what are we going to talk about? You got to have a plan. And admittedly, I've kind of gone on and talked about some stuff that may have bored some people, but all in all, I try to keep a plan together and I go through different phases. I'm sure like if you go to the first 10 episodes, they do not like there, there's such a, a drastic change to the current episodes. Yep. It's kind of funny. I, I actually semi recently, I, I went through an audiobook phase. So I was listening to a few audiobooks. So the podcast listening on my morning commutes kind of subsided for a little bit. And when I came back, obviously, I came right back to your podcast and I noticed that there was a change in the format where you used to, you know, you'd have your your coffee, you got your coffee every morning and you're running through what's new in the industry. But now you have like an official thought of the day sort of aspect to it, which I think is super cool. You kind of go on a, for lack of a better term, a rant on. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I get, I get an idea and I'm like, you know what? I think I need to tell my audience about this. And it's, yeah. it's usually in the, in the spirit of trying to be encouraging, trying to be uh, motivational, trying to provide some type of, I don't know, something that, you know, maybe if you're an audio professional and you've been getting knocked down and having, having a rough time, I want you to listen to the podcast and get inspired to have, you know, even if it's a two minute thing of me going, yeah, you need to do this. <laughs> I want to be that voice that tells you to achieve what you want to achieve. Sure. A great example of how you can evolve your format over time. Going back to the episode cadence, I'm just curious how you go about that situation. Do you have a backlog of episodes or interviews that you do these interviews and then you kind of record your intros and outros so that you don't have to worry about getting that last minute interview in before the, the publishing? So how do you go about doing that? Well, in an ideal world, you pile up interviews and I've been pretty good about it for a, for a while where I've got like conservatively two to three interviews, you know, ready to go. Sure. 
I've been failing at that recently. I just, there's a lot going on in all different aspects of my life. So sometimes, you know, you think, oh, I'm going to call so-and-so and you call them and they're like, oh, I'd love to. Can we do it in two weeks? And you're <laughs> like, oh, sure, sure. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I feel rude calling people up saying, hey, uh, can you come on Friday? Yeah. Can I, t can I call you Friday? And I think that's not ideal. I need to be more prepared for that. Yeah. Having the backlog is incredibly important and I'm sure it takes a tremendous amount of stress off your life. And that helps you remain consistent. Going back to our, our lesson of consistency, it just makes that so much easier when you have everything sort of ready to go. And, and just now you just need to put in the placeholders essentially. So, yeah, because it you will get into a position where you you start to panic because if by Wednesday I don't have a guest nailed down for the next show and I'm, you know, living guest to guest, yep. show to show, it's a little stressful because if you've got just that one guest lined up and then they call you and say, hey, you know what? I got to reschedule. You're going to be like, oh, yep. oh. so you got to have at least two to three guests already recorded. And sometimes you can actually just schedule. That's another thing. If you just say, you know what, I'm going to schedule interviews on these days, you can do that consistently and get maybe two to three interviews done in a day. And there's three episodes right there. If you've got three guests in one day that you've done an interview with. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. Real quick, going back, I, this actually wasn't something I was going to talk about, but I, I'm curious now from something you said earlier where you tried to write a couple of blogs when you first started out and hated it. You know, part of podcasting, there, there's a couple of different ways you can go about this. And I've talked about this in previous episodes, but you can write an entire script or you can write an outline or you can just wing it. I'm curious how you go about this because your podcast is incredibly conversational. And I think that's valuable because that's what people want to hear. People tune in. They want to feel like they're in the room with you just having a conversation with a down-to-earth guy. And, and that's sort of the vibe that you give on your podcast. And I'm just curious if there's any sort of written material that or an outline that you follow to keep you on track or how you go about doing that. Every single episode, with maybe a couple exceptions, has been off the cuff. I have some strange superpower where I can just get on a call with somebody and I could just go without any script whatsoever. And I think that could apply to pretty much any industry too. Occasionally I will, on somebody kind of heavy duty that I know is going to be a popular episode like Butch Vig or Steve Albini for me, I'll take general notes and I'll actually, I'll put up a music stand behind my laptop when I'm having these conversations. And, you know, I'm looking at them on a video on a, you know, like Skype or Google Hangouts or something. And I'll put up, this music stand behind the laptop with a bunch of little notes pasted to it with topics. That's cool. Because I don't want to forget, especially on a heavy duty guest that you're not, you're never going to answer all the questions that all the guests want. And I, it cracks me up. You know, I really, as you know, do not go into techniques or gear. Yep. And I just, I, I laugh part of the time. And sometimes I'm just like, obviously they don't get it. <laughs> when I see these comments from people on YouTube, when, uh, when they're commenting on, when they're listening to the show on YouTube as audio only, they'll say, 
Wow, that was a great interview. I really would have loved to hear about the kick drum sound on, you know, Nevermind or whatever. You know, it's yep. just like, really? Come on. <laughs> you obviously are just a drop in and do not understand this show. Well, on that note, <laughs> let's dive into some gear talk. Let's talk some gear. Uh, let's talk some gear. Yeah. So you've been an audio engineer, professional audio engineer for how long now? Uh, I, I would say professionally since 1994. Okay. A long time you've been doing this for. So, and that explains why your podcast is, is very well polished. Everything sounds great. Now you're a professional audio engineer and a lot of people trying to get into podcasts, especially if they're, you know, a business, most of these folks, they're not professional audio engineers and they don't know really the first thing about how to get a really good sound. And there's a lot of things that get taken for granted during that pursuit of recording a, a good sounding podcast. So Let's dive into the topic of this episode, which really is the gear and how somebody new jumping into this podcast world, how they can go about and successfully record a good sounding podcast episode. You know, are there three to five pieces of essential gear that they're going to need starting from scratch in order to get their podcast recorded? Anything off the top of your head, just, you know, you're not going to be able to get this done without these pieces of gear. What would those be? Well, let me think. Um, obviously, we're talking about people talking uh, generally on a podcast. Yep. So if you're going to capture that, you're going to need a decent microphone. I think, honestly, the biggest mistake, and I, and I know some people are going to radically disagree with what I'm about <laughs> to say. I think the biggest mistake people make is they buy a condenser-based microphone. Yep. Because a condenser microphone, for those that don't know, is a very sensitive piece of equipment in terms of its ability to capture a lot of nuance and detail. And that includes your kids upstairs. If you're in the basement, plane passing overhead, plane <laughs> passing overhead, my favorite UPS trucks idling in the driveway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the neighbor using the leaf blower. I mean, everything, everything you don't yep. want in there, they can sound good on the voice. So the answer to that is, is I think if you get yourself a good dynamic mic, all the manufacturers make a great dynamic mic that is suitable for broadcast. You know, I've been using this Audio-Technica BP40 for years now, and I've tried some others and they're cool, but I like how this works on my voice. Sure. So you got to have a mic and if you want to keep it simple, uh, you got to have a, a recording device, of course. And, you know, I don't, I'm not endorsed by any of these companies, but uh, I'll sure. say that with the exception of Audio Technica, who's a great supporter of mine. And they just came up with a couple of packages too. Um, at uh, AES in the fall, they un unveiled their, they have a, a number, I think there's four different podcasting packages that they unveiled. So, yeah, definitely check them out. Yeah, all the companies are doing that now because they realize podcasting is a thing, yep. which everybody's slowly coming around to it. So you need a mic, you need something to record yourself. Now, if you record into your computer, that's going to introduce you to a digital audio workstation or a DAW, Yep, and that's going to come with a certain amount of complexity. You can go free with Audacity, you could go free with Pro Tools first, you can... Um, do it with a number of tools out there. Sure. Or you could get yourself a little recorder, like a Zoom recorder or a sound devices recorder, something like that, that is just a dedicated recorder, which is actually what I'm recording on right now because it takes the stress of 
is the computer actually capturing what I need it to capture? Let me actually check that right now. Okay, we're good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's like a digital version of an analog recorder. It just, you hit record, you go, and it's done. It's on an SD card, which you can plug into a computer and tr or transfer over into a DAW and edit to your heart's content. Yep. So, uh, yeah, that in a, in a pair of closed back headphones, like we're both wearing right yep. now. <laughs> Would there be any, any disadvantage to using earbuds? Let's say you're trying to cut out on uh, on budget let's just say would earbuds be a problem any any potential issues there i do have a pair of, of in-ear headphones i have tried that and it's it's a little weird because the bass buildup in the ear canal is a little disturbing yeah. when you hear your own voice back and you're creating almost like a feedback your whole body your, resonates your, <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean you know if you don't have money for headphones and you got some earbuds go for it whatever works there with, with, you know, so we talked about the microphone, we talked about the computer, we talked about an interface or a digital recorder, headphones, obviously. With a recorder, we have our audio recorded, but I mean, technically, we have a raw audio file, essentially. What about editing or, you know, let's say I want to throw in some music. We, we talked about Audacity, I think. There, there's, you can do some custom editing on there. Any thoughts on, on that? I'll tell you, honestly, while Audacity is free and somewhat easy to understand, if you're even going to go through the pains of that, you might as well just go into the world of Pro Tools. Yeah. And the reason is, is there is so much history and content and knowledge available for Pro Tools. So if you were to go on YouTube and you want to, you know, how do I edit or how do I crossfade or how do I, how do, I do whatever it is I'm going to need to do in Pro Tools, you're going to find it. Yeah. Instantly, because it's just been around for so long. Yeah, that's great. A lot of people will say, well, I have a Mac and I see they have Logic and that's 200 bucks. I should just buy that. Logic is great on a number of levels, but when it comes to editing, I have never found it logical ever. It's <laughs> never worked for me in that capacity. Maybe it works for you. Great. Also, there's a number of other DAWs and you're going to see a range of opinions. Like uh, there's a huge Reaper Reaper's the name of the DAW, a huge user base of Reaper, but I think generally the people that are gravitating towards Reaper are pretty knowledgeable already about DAWs and have yep. maybe been through Pro Tools and figured, actually, I like this better. And so it's not going to be as easy to find the basics, I think. Well, that's not true. I think you could find the basics, but I think the user base is going to be a little little different than the Pro Tools user base sure. in terms of, of getting what you want out of it. I think it's interesting that uh, to sum this up, I think what it comes down to is personal preference. It's basically, I know people that swear by logic. They love it. That's their DAW. For me, I mean, I was working on a session today with an artist and we were doing some composition stuff and I'm not a stranger to logic. I've used it and I, I use it every now and then, but I, I was actually cursing a little bit because it was to me just annoying to navigate when I could have gotten something done in Pro Tools in two seconds. But it's only because I've been using Pro Tools for 10 years now. And it's just something that is intuitive to me. It's just something that I prefer. There are people, like you said, that love Reaper. It all comes down to personal preference with this stuff. They all can do exactly what you want them to do. I should clarify that so the Reaper fan base does not come <laughs> after me. Re you know, Reaper, Logic, Cubase, Nuendo, Pro Tools, yep. 
audacity. They'll all do these things, but I just find Pro Tools to be the most intuitive as well. So that's my suggestion. Go for Pro Tools first, you know, that's free and yep. get your feet wet there. It's like the Photoshop of DAWs is what Pro Tools is. So let me ask you this, going back to the microphone real quick, any advice, thoughts, anything on USB mics? Let's say they don't want a recorder. They want it. They're, you know, strapped for cash. We're just doing this sort of streamlined. USB microphones are out there. They can connect it directly to their computer right into a DAW. Is there any thoughts on that? Is there any, have you tried these? Do you like them? Do you not like them? What are your thoughts? I would say if you want to stay streamlined and low cost, I don't see any harm in using a USB mic. It encapsulates a bunch of technologies that maybe you don't even know or want to know just yet into a very small package. It's, it's a mic preamp and an analog to digital converter yep. in a very small package. And with the voice, in terms of fidelity, all those mics will sound just fine. It's not going to, we're not talking about making, you know, high fidelity music here. We're talking about capturing the voice. And I think any of those USB mics will be perfectly fine yeah. in doing that. So you get a pair of headphones, maybe. So just if you want to keep it low cost, you get your free pair of earbuds that came with your phone, a USB mic, a computer, which you probably already own, Pro Tools first. And that way you can kind of get in at a low cost without, you know, going too deep just yet. And then you'll figure out what works, what doesn't work, and then where you want to expand. And over time, if you stay with it, you'll be like, you'll think to yourself, Ooh, okay. I want to improve my signal chain a little bit. I understand a little bit more. Now I want to try this. Perfect. Yeah. I think that's great. There, there are folks that I know they have built out a podcasting studio in their house. They didn't start out that way. You know, they started out with a USB microphone and a pair of headphones and were feeling the whole process out. And as they learned and as they tried new things and dove deeper in, the next thing you know, they have an entire podcasting studio in their house. So you can go with the bare minimums and build from there. You certainly can. And maybe you're somebody who somehow, you, or one way or another, you've inherited or you have a microphone that is a traditional XLR-based microphone. Well, there's a lot of devices out there that can take that XLR into a little converter and just turn that XLR microphone into a USB mic. Yep. And there's a bunch of different products out there. I could, I, can't, I don't even know what they are, but I've seen them, I've observed them and often thought, ooh, that would be a good on the road option. Yeah, there's uh, the iRig is one of them actually, and it works with your mobile phone. So if you're on the road, it's just a little, it's tiny. I mean, it's four inches long maybe. And it's basically a little converter and a preamp within this thing. And, and on one end, you plug in the XLR cable from your microphone. And on the other end, it depends on what which version you have, but it's the uh, it could be a Thunderbolt cable or the, I forget what they call it on the Apple phones. Um, the lightning cable? Yeah, and it goes right into your phone and you can record interviews with the Notes app or whatever it is and actually use your XLR mic. So That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I mean, whatever works and whatever keeps it cost effective for you. So there are a couple of different scenarios when recording podcasts. I mean, you and I right now are over uh, Google Hangouts recording this. 
There is the in-person recording where you have one or a group of people come down to your place and and record there. And in that point in time, you're going to need to worry about multiple inputs, multiple mics, multiple people. Um, And then you have the sort of on the road, I'm in a hotel room sort of thing. Or I think you had an episode this past week or a couple of weeks ago where you were in a courtyard at at a cafe recording outside. So in these three different scenarios that I've just laid out, what are some things to think about? And I guess we could start with how we're doing this right now. Things that that I try to tell my clients, and not that I want to jump in and take maybe one of your points, but turn off Dropbox because that's eating your bandwidth. People don't think of these things, and it's something that can interfere with your recording when you're trying to use your your internet connection for it. Yeah, and I actually just looked up at the top bar on my Mac here just to see if Dropbox was running when you said <laughs> that. Like, oh, gosh. Yeah, sure. There's a, a number of considerations. I would say the number one consideration if you're interviewing somebody remotely in a public environment, be aware of what is happening around you. And I'm not talking just about pure noise. If there's music playing behind you, that's probably not going to be good if there's some commercial music that shows up in your podcast in the background that could give you some kind of copyright flag or create some potential headache for you. It it also makes it hard for editing because people know the song and then they start to hear the edits and that's when it becomes a real issue. Yep. Um, so watch your environment. You know, just on in the spirit of trying to get it right at the source, watch your environment. Make sure you're not in a uh, a cavernous uh, environment where there's a lot of room tone, room noise. It sounds echoey or reverberant. There's a there's a number of other things. If you're recording in coffee shops, what's the number one thing many coffee shops have? Espresso machines. Yeah, coffee grinders, uh, espresso machines uh, with steamers, and they're steaming milk. There's a lot of very piercing sounds that will creep right into your recording and make them not enjoyable to listen to. And I've done some interviews at coffee shops where some of the sounds that kind of creep in, they're a little unavoidable if you choose to be in that environment. I've had people, you know, walk by just loud people, blah, 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 blah. And I told (laughs) Sally that blah, blah, blah. And you're like, Yeah. People don't care if you're recording. Yeah. You know, the public sphere is not your personal studio. So you're going to have to put up with some sounds. And I will say this, if you do find yourself where you're comfortable with your DAW, uh, you might start to look into investing even a small amount of money into a, a product that many of us in the audio world know from a company called Isotope called RX. And there's different versions of it. I think there's an RX Elements that's inexpensive. And then it goes up in price to the pro level version, which I think is like 1200 bucks. And it is like black magic, what what RX can do. And I use uh, a particular thing, even in my quiet environment here, I'll use it just in case. And it's uh, dialogue denoise is yep. what the name of the the plugin is within that RX environment. You put it on auto, set the threshold, set the amount of reduction you want, and boom, it cleans up a lot of garbage. Absolutely. I don't know if you have experience on your own. I don't know if you've had experience with having multiple people in, in person recording. Whether you've had that experience or not, just your general 
audio expertise, I'm sure you already have an opinion on how to set something like that up to avoid what we call crosstalk in the audio industry. Any advice there on if I'm going to have, let's start with two people. So three people in a room, I have two guests and it's just me hosting a podcast. They're all three of us in a room. You know, if one person talks, my mic's picking up on it and so on and so forth. So any advice on how to minimize that because it's going to creep into your post-production and it's really going to make editing things difficult? Well, I mean, I don't think you can 100% eliminate that, that crosstalk or that bleed from one mic, one person into another mic, 100%. But what you can do is you can minimize it greatly. And one way to do that, let's just start with two people, for example, across from each other sit across from each other. Don't sit right next to each other because the pickup pattern of most microphones is a cardioid pickup pattern. Cardioid meaning, you know, like, uh, looks like a heart. It's, it's kind of, kind of a strange looking heart, Yep. but <laughs> in other words, the rejection of the mic on the rear of the mic is going to be greatest. So if you can position yourself so that you're looking at each other from across a table, it's going to be better. Also, if you get closer to your mic, when you talk, you can, and you're wearing headphones, you tend not to yell. Yep. So you talk a little quieter and that also reduces your voice bleeding into the other person's microphone. So if you have three people set up in a triangle as best you can, try not to have two people sitting right next to each other if possible. And, you know, barring that, you're going to have to, uh, if you do get a lot of bleed and it's becoming kind of swirly sounding because of, of the phase and meaning the, the timing of one person's voice reaching their mic first and then slightly later in time reaching the other two mics in a three-person situation, you're going to have to do a little editing or a little fader writing, you know, lowering the level. Anyhow, that's, that's what I would say. Get it right at the source. Once again, try to find a good room with very few room reflections. If you get three people in a very um, echoey room, it's going to be a disaster. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that's the key. And, and we, we as audio engineers talk about this no matter what the application, whether we're in the studio working with a band or recording a podcast episode, getting things right at the source is the number one key to success, in my opinion, anyway. And I'm sure that, you know, you would endorse that as well. If it sounds good on the way in raw, it's going to sound great in the finished product. So, and it'll, you know, especially in the, in the podcasting world, it'll remove a lot of headache further down the line in post-production. So, yeah. And, and just a, a visual case in point, if anybody is familiar with the Joe Rogan show, if you ever watch Joe Rogan on YouTube, it's pretty clear that they've got some uh, big, heavy curtains in the area. Yep. And the guests, you know, Joe and his guests are always seated across, seated across from one another. And that helps, you know, that show sounds great. Yep. And that is premeditated. It's something that they put a lot of thought into in order to get the best sound at the source. So that's a great example. You know, one other thing too, if, you know, maybe you're doing an interview in an environment where there's people in another room. If you can avoid that, it's really helpful because I don't care how quietly people talk. Uh, if there are people, let's say there's people in a, a kitchen and you're in the living room and you're trying to do an interview, you're going to hear those other people yep. in the kitchen talk. 
it's just going to make its way into your recording. So for those of you recording in your homes. Yep. Or in, a, in an office building, because there are a lot of companies that are recording in their office and choosing the conference room or whichever room you are choosing to record in furthest away from the bullpen or wherever it is, there are the most people. Maybe that's the break room or the cafeteria or whatever it is. Trying to choose the room that is furthest away from that. And I always like to say, listen to what's going on outside the window. I, I was doing a recording in an office building and we started out in a conference room that was away from a group of people, but it was on a main road and there were a lot of trucks trafficking this road. And I mean, even through the window, and I'm, we're talking, it had to be 50 to hundred feet away. And you're, I mean, those trucks sounded like they were right there in the room with us. So we had to ultimately choose a different room because of that. So just, I think the, the, the point is be aware of your surroundings when you're going, uh, going into this recording. The other thing too, I want to add to all that is that it's not every day people are expecting to encounter others recording, right? It's not, True. It's not a, a, a thing that people are doing every day that, oh, of course they're recording. We need to be quiet. Yep. You need to let people know in a couple different ways. First of all, if you have somebody that's depending on you to be around and need an answer from you, you need to tell them, hey, I'm going to be on a call or, or recording for the next hour. I'm not going to be reachable please do not come knock on my door. Yep. I have a, a neighbor who occasionally will knock on my door. And whenever I go to do a recording, although I didn't do it today because I'm not expecting him to come over, <laughs> I will put a post-it note on my front door that says in a conference call just to kind of keep it vague. Yep. And uh, just, you know, letting those around you know there's recording happening. I cannot be talked to right now. Yeah, that's great. And, and that comes back to being prepared. We actually had a, an episode with uh, Chris Graham. We were talking about having that checklist. The first check mark on his is actually checking things off on his checklist, which I love. I think Chris has a checklist for the moment he gets out of bed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's he's a really, really systems oriented guy, which is great. But the checklist is so important because you know you can't count on yourself to remember every last little detail. And even remembering just to let the other people in the office know or the house know or wherever it is you're recording that you are recording, sometimes that could slip your mind. So that would definitely be one of the things that I would put on that checklist and putting a sign up that you're recording. And But you know what? You can do all that. You can plan to the nth degree and something will interrupt you. Something <laughs> will happen. I, I have, uh, as you know, as a listener of my show, I have a bulldog who yep. weighs 84 pounds. And when he wants to go outside... He will stand at the front door and bark as loud as he can in a low, powerful bark. And I, I can't tell you how many recordings I have of me interviewing somebody and in the background you hear. <laughs> and and you can add as much RX as you want. That's that's just gonna cut through every time. <laughs> Well, listen, Matt, this has been great. I really appreciate you jumping on. I do have a couple of last wrap-up questions for you. Absolutely. The, the first thing that I, we, and we have already covered this a little bit. We talked about your story and why you got into podcasting, but let's take this a step further and say, what is keeping you podcasting? So what is it about podcasting that makes you continually put out these episodes? You know, the first thing that comes to mind is the audience. I get some pretty fantastic messages from people from all over the world, people saying, oh my gosh, I, you know, your show keeps my commute 
you know, doable. I, I otherwise I'd go insane or, or I'm in the middle of transitioning out of my job into doing audio full time. And your shows really helped me from a business perspective to think about things that I never have thought about. Cause I've only thought about gear and maybe clients and that's about it. So I would say the audience keeps me going. I read those emails sometimes and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I got to keep going. (laughs) That's fantastic. And not to be super fanboy, but when I first started listening to your podcast, just a quick background, I grew up in the music industry. I went to school for audio. It was something that I knew I wanted to do. Uh, And then the band broke up and it kind of had an impact on me. It was something that I pretty much gave up on music. I realized, or I didn't realize, I told myself that there was no future in music and I need to go back to school and get a real job. And I did that. And then after I realized the dream and started working uh, my nine to five job, I realized very quickly that I had made a big mistake. And uh, that's when I started kind of getting back into recording and audio. And I stumbled on your podcast and it was incredibly inspiring and kept me moving and kept me moving forward with my pursuit in the audio business. So thank you for for that. Oh, that's great. I, I love hearing stories like that because, you know, that's the thing when you're doing a podcast is sometimes you record this stuff and you put it out there and you're like, well, I don't know if it's doing any good or people are liking what I'm doing. And, and then you get like these glorious messages and you're like, oh, this is a little more impactful than I had originally planned for. Yeah. But sure, I'll keep going. <laughs> and so I do. And it's that's I love hearing stories like that. That's amazing. So now, you know, after watching or listening, I should say, to your podcast really evolve over the years, um, you know, which has been really fun to see. What's next for the working class audio? Is there anything uh, you have planned for the future that's uh, that's super exciting? Oh, I'm always planning a takeover <laughs> of the world. Always. You know, that's the thing, too. I'll say two things. A bit of advice for when you're making a podcast. Don't tell people what you're working on because you may not follow through with that. Love that. Yeah. Um, try to keep your content evergreen. Try to keep it so that it's timeless so that if anybody hears it five, 10, 20 years from now, it won't be like, oh my gosh, listen to this old school podcast about this time period in the music industry or time period in this particular industry, you know, yep. try to, try to make it practical as best you can. That said, I have, uh, gone through these phases of, oh, I'm going to work on this and you guys are going to love it. And then I just don't follow through with it because I realize, (laughs) wow, that's a lot bigger chore than I'm willing to take on. But what I am working on, uh, I I already do have a a book series that started. That's uh, the first is out, the Working Class Audio Journal, which is basically for those that like to read interviews instead of listen to them. Uh, Some people just don't like to listen to podcasts. So this is for those people. Uh, These are transcriptions of the interviews I've done with um, kind of written or obviously written, but uh, kind of retooled intros that are very specific to the book. Yep. The other thing I'm working on now is I'm trying to create an on-demand paid video product series that uh, addresses kind of uh, needs of people in the audio world. And there's a lot of, you know, how to mix, you know, rock and rap or whatever kind of music there is out there, you know, and it's always like a super big name with a super big band Yep. and no offense to those people, (laughs) but 
I'd like to try to do the equivalent of what, you know, the working class audio podcast serves a need where we don't get into the deep gear discussions that everybody else does. And we talk about things that nobody else talks about. Well, I'm trying to do the same thing with a video series. You yeah. know, let's talk about the problems you're having in this area and try to price it at a point that's not like people are going to flinch, but at the same time, it, it still, you know, going to hopefully pay me back for the time that I'm putting into it. Sure. So that's in the works. It's a bit of a, a, a chore to, to put it together, but you know, I'm trying to do it really well so that it'll be out there for a long time. And it's, you know, it'll be a form of passive income, obviously for me, which I look forward to, but I think it's also going to provide some serious value for those that see it and go, Oh, I could learn something there. That's great. That's fantastic. And you mentioned your book. So where, where can folks who are listening, where can they a find the book? Where can they find you if they want to find your podcasts? You know, what, where can they get in contact with you? Things like this. Well, all things flow through workingclassaudio.com, which will take you to, if you want to find out more about me specifically, you can follow the links or just go to mattboudreau.com. That's, you know, Matt with two T's and Google will tell you how to spell Boudreaux at some point. <laughs> the uh, book is available on Amazon and it's available actually pretty much everywhere. It's uh, it's on a pretty major publisher, Roman and Littlefield. So it's, if you don't see it in your local bookstore, you can order it or it, and support your local bookstore, which I highly encourage. Yep. And if you just are, you know, a slave to convenience and you really would like to get it, you know, in two days or a day, go to Amazon and get it on nice Prime. Review. <laughs> Get it on Prime. Yeah. You can get it to, you can get it tomorrow, I bet. Yeah. Well, Matt, this has been great. We really talked about some amazing things on how to optimize the sound quality of your recordings or if you're just starting out, what you're gonna need in order to get up and running. Thank you so much for being on and providing these insights. This has been great. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's great to talk about this stuff. I never talk about, you know, the podcast details. Yeah, so yeah, that's great. I wish, I wish the best of luck to all your listeners in creating podcasts. Awesome. Thanks so much, Matt. Well, there you go. Matt Boudreaux, he's been in the podcasting game for a long time. He's been in the audio industry even longer and, and provided some really great insights into taking the audio quality of your podcast to the next level and, and really how to do that. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode and it helps you out in your next podcast recording. If you have any questions or comments or maybe you have some feedback on the show, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm at Devin at DeveniopodcastsPlural.com. That's Deveniopodcasts.com. And please subscribe to the show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, you name it. We're all over the place. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And until next time, happy podcasting.